Hey, good morning, Mission Church of the Nazarene. This is Tony Miller, pastor here at, at uh, Mission Naz, and we just want to welcome you with open arms. We're just delighted that you've joined us, uh, whether it's on YouTube. You can go to the YouTube channel and, and put in Mission Church of the Nazarene or go to our website at missionnaz.org. And you can access our, our services, ministries that way. But anyhow, I just want to thank everybody that's working so hard uh, for those that are, you know, doing our Zoom uh, mission communities and small groups and our, our mission student ministries and our children's ministries. I mean, everybody's doing an awesome job. I've been watching some of that stuff. So we invite you just to continue to uh, just be a part of what's happening. And we understand the church is not, uh, it's not a campus. It's not a building. I understand that we are the church, you and I are the church, and so uh, my wife and I, Heidi, we are just so happy to be a part of your life and a part of uh, God's church, and so we just, we just right now, I want to just put my arms around you, just welcome you, thank you for being here. Some of the people watching are in other states, I understand, and other places, and so whether you're sitting in your living room with your family, the kids, or you're watching from work or maybe looking at your phone in your car and you're watching the service, hopefully not driving. But, but anyways, we just want to say we're happy that you're part of, of Mission Church. And, uh, and I personally want to just welcome you. If you have God's Word, we want to get right into the Word. And, and uh, today, if you're a guest with us, we just, again, just want to give you a personal welcome if this is your first time viewing with us um, so if you have God's word, that's important to us that we're in the word. We go to Matthew chapter 25, looking at verse 13. I'll give you a moment to look that up. Go to Matthew chapter 25, looking at verse 13. And, uh, and so as you, you pull that up, um, this is the end of a parable. Jesus is telling a parable. And I just love listening to Jesus. And I know it's writing, I'm reading, but... Man, it would have been awesome to be with Christ, I mean, to be present when he was living on this earth and to be able to just sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. And, and so that's what I'm trying to do is listen to hear what he has to say. It's the end of a parable. And, um, and in fact, as I read this verse, I, I, I give this sermon a title. And the title of the sermon is The Power of an Uncertain Future. The Power of an Uncertain Future. Think about that. I mean, because we are really living in uncertain times. I'm going back in history a little bit. I, I think of one of the most uncertain times in my life. It had to be when I became a brand new student, a freshman at Northwest Nazarene University. Well, it's called college back then, but Northwest Nazarene University. And shout out to all the alumni out there. But um, I remember, you know, coming on campus and I wasn't worried about the typical things that maybe students worry about, by, like being liked or popularity or maybe what my grades were going to be. Probably should have been worried about that or but, but anyway, what I was really, I think I remember the emotions that I had at the time. It was, it was the fact that I had my future, my life in my hands, so to speak, and there was this huge potential out there. It was this uncertain future that I'm talking about. And it, it took a while for me to wrap my arms around the idea that there is power in an uncertain future. It's kind of like what Shakespeare writes when he has one of his characters, Falstaff, say, the world is my oyster. <laughs> For me, there was the power of the uncertain future as a new student at Northwest Nazarene University. And I think that's kind of a little bit of, of the spirit that I want to capture here in the story, this parable that Jesus is telling, because Jesus is talking about eternal matters 
And, and he's trying to say, hey, you know, be watching, be careful. I mean, listen, there's something that's going to happen. In fact, look at the verse with me. Go to Matthew chapter 25, looking at verse 13. He says this at the end of the parable of the ten virgins. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch. Listen to that. Keep watch. It's, it's like a warning and a challenge at the same time that, that, that we're keeping watch. And of course, you know, Jesus spoke these words on the heels of this parable of the ten virgins. And so I can imagine as they're listening to the story, they're still under the impression of hearing that story. So there was kind of an air or a sense of expectancy in the minds of the listeners. And remember, we are the listeners this morning. And there is this sense of, of expectancy as we are listening to the story that the bridegroom is coming and, and they're to be prepared and they'll be ready. It's kind of like the excitement and expectancy of waiting for your best friend to arrive. You know they're coming this week and maybe it's your best sister or maybe it's your, your mom and dad or somebody that you really, really love. You haven't seen them in quite a while and you know that they're arriving this week but you're not sure when they're going to arrive because their schedule's tight and so there's a sense of of expectancy and excitement that there is something special that's going to happen. I mean, I think that's the spirit. That's kind of the air that, that we get when we read this passage. Why? Because really what's happening is Jesus is saying, hey, you never know when I might come back. You never know when when this might you know come your way, this truth or or this revelation. In fact, that's what we're going to focus on. That that's really the story that Jesus is trying to tell. We call it the gospel today, which means and is defined as the revelation of Christ. Remember that that Christ is bringing a revelation of truth, especially when He says things like "I am the way, the life, and the truth." Again, that's the gospel, the revelation of Christ. And it's with a sense of anticipation that we're waiting to hear this, this news or waiting for the arrival in this parable of the bridegroom. And so I kind of just insert myself in this scenario as Jesus is telling the story because you can imagine these virgins, they're all looking forward. They're all, you know, thinking about what's going to happen in the future. They're not dwelling on the past and things that already happened or water's gone under the bridge, but they're waiting on pins and needles, so to speak, for this thing that was going to happen as the bridegroom arrives. And I can imagine in a very real sense because this is a very typical story to tell for, for culture at this time and this day. I can imagine in a very real sense, you know, around the house as the, the virgins are keeping the bride company that, that they were, you know, busy getting things done like filling their lamps with oil and the rustling garments and the whispering and giggling that girls do. And at night time, you know, the closing and the opening of doors and, and the expectancy that was so palpable. And you see the full idea here is that the future was coming and it was bright. <laughs> Maybe we need to hear that right now. I mean, something that is hopeful and something that's bright because, you know, the fact is today we are facing times like we've never faced before. I mean, to be honest, to be real, we're facing, you know, challenging times and some of us were processing our loss and maybe it's the loss of a job or income or maybe the loss of the rhythm of life and the way that we have been doing things in the past and things aren't going to be the way they were ever again. I'm a handshaker and a hugger. We come to church, there's going to be obviously some social distancing. We're going to be careful because we care about people. The most loving thing that we can do is to be careful and to care about others. We understand that. So things have shifted and things are different than they've ever been before. And as we process that, we, we think about, you know, 
the fact that that you know there's also this expectant future. I mean, it's uncertain. Again, remember the power of the uncertain future. There's this this expectancy that the future is brimming with possibilities, and and maybe it's a time that we embrace changes and we embrace new forms and ways that we do things. And, and in fact, I am doing things like I've never done before, and I'm learning new skills I didn't know that I had. It's like when Arabic proverb I read the other day that was that says this or reads this way: "What is coming is better than what is gone." I want to believe that, right? What is coming is what's better is better than what is gone. I have to think of one, you know, example in Scripture, which is, of course, the the lives of the disciples. I mean, imagine this: they, the, I mean, we're two weeks away from Easter. They had said goodbye to the Messiah. They'd said goodbye to their leader, and now you can imagine this was a new day for them. I mean, they very easily could have, you know, at the very end, final, dark end of Jesus' life when he was crucified on the cross. You know, they could have just stayed there. They could have just lived in Good Friday. But here we are two weeks after Easter, and they didn't have to live in Good Friday, but now there is this celebrated reality that Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead, and they are living in that reality. I mean, if we were there then, you know, that century. But folks, we are in a sense in that place right now as we're thinking about this future that is brimming with possibility as we think about what God might be doing through us and how God might be doing some new things to the church. And, and I'm excited about that because you're a part of that and, and we're a part of that. Why? Because we are the church and God wants to unfold his plan and his will through the church. And so I invite you just to, as we read this parable, to, to capture the spirit of, of expectancy as we read this together. I mean, that's the tone of the passage. But think of this. It's also the tone of the gospel of Christ when you think about it. I mean, when you really think about the tone of the gospel of Christ, remember, the de- definition of the gospel is the revelation of Christ. And when you think about the tone of the gospel of Christ, you you think of this possibility that is unfolding when we enter into relationship with Jesus, our Savior. And we begin to experience the, the, the expected possibilities and the infinite reality that God unfolds in our life as he is building us up and he's developing our character. As we walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, the potential is limitless because of the relationship of the very one who created us and breathed life into our lungs. The gospel represents all of that, and and that encourages me. In fact, I go to an old sermon, an old preacher by the name of John Wesley, and he preached a message based on Ephesians chapter 5, looking at verse 14, and here's the title. It's that passage. Here's the title of the message. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Awake thou that sleepest. And I understand that it's kind of crude in nature when we think about, you know, those that are asleep or those that are living in darkness. But I I, I want to talk about that in light of the gospel. Now, a few times during the sermon, I'm going to use the phrase the gospel. Again, the revelation of Christ. I'm going to use the phrase the gospel. So when I say that, pay special close attention. Here's the first one. The gospel recognizes for there to be light, there must be darkness. Think about that. The gospel realizes for there to be light, there must be darkness. And, And so... You see, Wesley begins, and this is from his sermon, he begins by addressing the natural state of darkness, that then when darkness falls upon us like night, that we no longer can see the way that we'd normally be able to say when there's darkness upon us, 
and the shroud and the cover of, 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 of night, then now we cannot see things. There is this limitation. I remember um, I have a friend named Bill Sichterman that uh, is a pilot soldier. And one time he allowed me to look through some um, some of those night vision goggles. I mean, official military grade night vision goggles. And man, it was this dark. I mean, it was just pitch black between the buildings. And when I put those those goggles on, man, it was like daylight. I mean, it really that technology. It was phenomenal. Because see, when the darkness comes over us, we cannot see things as we normally would. And see what what Wesley is trying to say in the reference to this passage in Ephesians 5.14. Awake thou that sleepest, that there is this darkness that has come upon the soul. And this is the darkness, the deep darkness that is on the soul who is away from God. That's the darkness that Wesley's talking about. That soul that is away from God. And sometimes we might wonder, well, why this or why that? Or well, how come my life isn't what it could be? Maybe it's the fact that there is this darkness. There's this darkness that surrounds us or, or it's a part of our life and it's a darkness that's bound up in misery and the oppression of the soul. It's, it's like one preacher said, and again, this is a little, this is kind of meddling, but one preacher said, it's sinners who are satisfied in their sin. It's sinners who are satisfied in their sin. Defining those that have a form of godliness, the scripture calls it, those that have a form of godliness, but they are denying its power. They have a form of godliness denying his power. What does that mean? That means that they have religion, but they don't have relationship. Because the gospel, the revelation of Christ, is about relationship with our Father in heaven through the Son. He who hath life hath the Son, right? He who knows the Father knows the Son. And we have relationship with the Father because of the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the darkness that he's talking about that comes upon us is those that are living without relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that. He's talking about those that are, that are dead in sin, those that are living in death away from God. And the thing is, is oftentimes individuals don't even know that they're doing so. That they're living away from God because of the darkness that is preventing them to see the things that normally they would see if they were walking and living in the light. So Wesley was addressing the vital union of our soul with God and this revelation of Christ of waking up and waking the soul. So it's the challenge, it's the invitation. He's saying, hey, church, wake up and see the light. Who is Jesus Christ? The gospel. This is the gospel. Again, here's the phrase, the gospel. And the gospel recognizes for there to be light, there must be darkness. But the gospel also may seem difficult at times. The gospel may seem difficult at times. Because sometimes anticipation or expectation can create oppression. Because there's such, you know, there's this tension between, okay, it's not happening, it's going to happen. And what, what's going to happen? What's, going, what's it going to be like? And so oftentimes, because of the stress and the tension, there can be a sense of oppression and the soul just simply becomes it becomes weary because we're passing time maybe worrying or or passing time wondering trying to understand and so I understand that I understand the the you know again the just the tension between you know the, the excitement of an uncertain future and yet also the challenge and the stressfulness of that uncertain future I understand that so the gospel sometimes may seem difficult. The gospel 
invites us into a sort of watchfulness. Again, that's the phrase, the gospel. The gospel invites us into a sort of watchfulness. And I mean that in two ways. And remember, we go back to the passage what Jesus Christ said. He said, watch therefore, for we do not know the day or the hour. And so again, it's this challenge, this warning that we are being watchful. And there's two types of watchfulness that I think of. It's the watchfulness of the mature individual. You know, the individual that is watchful because they've experienced life and they know what the crooked path is like and they experience the, the, the heartache of defeat and they've experienced the victory of, of success and celebration. It's the mature individual that is, is watchful that there's got to be something more meaningful and something deeper than what it is that we've experienced in life so far. And so that brings them to this very mountaintop that we're talking about, and that is the mountaintop of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as in the other type of watchfulness we find in that person that is young the boyish curiosity or the girlish curiosity of, of life and the expectancy of life and what life is going to bring us or the education and what education is going to provide for us, or, or maybe the distant lands that we might travel to and experience. And so there's the watchfulness of the youth looking forward to these things that we're yet to experience. But yet, as we, we know that and experience that, it also brings us to the mountaintop, the mountaintop of the gospel of Christ that, that is the revelation of relationship with our Father in heaven who created us. The gospel invites us into that, that type of watchfulness. And then the, the gospel, it, it comes alive. The gospel comes alive in us. And we see the possible relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. So we bring this back to the parable, remember. And the parables of the ten virgins, we understand that. And some you know, were prepared and some were not prepared. And we recognize that the wise had made preparations to meet the bridegroom while the foolish were still searching and looking for resources or oil for the lamb. I mean, that was the scenario. And this was a very practical story for Jesus to tell. I mean, in context here, it was very, very practical. I mean, it could have happened any time in a Palestinian village when Jesus was walking the earth. Because weddings, for people at this time, weddings were a tremendous occasion. I mean, weddings right now are pretty spectacular too. But I mean, this, this thing here was more than just a big long afternoon. This was like an all week long thing. Weddings were a tremendous uh, occasion. The point of the parable lies in Jewish custom. Couples did not go away for their honeymoon, but they stayed home for a week and they kept the house open. And, and the festivities, as you, you've read before probably, are ongoing so the parable is about the foolish virgins who missed out because of not being prepared. Of not being prepared. Dr. J. Alexander Finley tells of what he himself saw in Palestine. And I, I want to share uh, his, his diary with you. Here's what he wrote. When we were approaching the gates of a Galilean town, he writes, I caught a sight of ten maidens gaily clad and playing some kind of musical instrument as they danced along the road in front of our car. When I asked what they were doing, the driver told me that they were going to keep the bride company till her bridegroom arrived. I asked him if there was any chance of seeing the wedding, but he shook his head, saying, in effect, it might be tonight or tomorrow night or in a fortnight's time. Nobody ever knows for certain. Then he went on to explain that one of the great things to do, if you could, at a middle-class wedding in Palestine was to catch the bridal party napping. And so the bridegroom comes unexpectedly and sometimes in the middle of the night. 
It is true that he is required by public opinion to send a man along the street to shout, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. But that may happen at any time. So the bridal party have to be ready to go out into the street at any time to meet him whenever he chooses to come. I, I love it. Great, great uh, record of that man's visit. But I, I think the whole parable, the whole, the whole message asks the question, And it's really one question. Are you prepared to meet the bridegroom? And we know the bridegroom represents Jesus Christ. And we know the virgins, you know, they represent us. It represents the church. And and so, again, the question is, are we prepared to meet him, Jesus Christ? Are we prepared to have relationship with the Savior that loves us and gave his life upon the cross for us? And, in fact, I would say this morning that we have to know five things to be prepared. We need to know about God's grace. We need to know about our own condition. That's man. About God about who Christ really is, and of course the faith that engages and begins this relationship with the Father in heaven who created us. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? That means that we understand that God is a gracious God. Folks, this is a God that loves us so much that he pours his grace out upon us in abundance. In fact, the scripture says it is by grace we are saved by faith, and this is not of ourselves, but a gift of God. It's a gift of God, the grace of God that he pours out upon us in abundance. Why? Because man has been separated from God. That's called the fall of man. And so sin enters into man's life. And, and because God is a just God, he, he demands that this relationship, this separation is made right. And so Christ is sent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so God sends a son, Jesus Christ, that we might have relationship with him, right? And so we then begin in faith to accept the story that God gives us. We begin to accept the reality that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and defeated death, was resurrected from the dead. And that's what we celebrated just a couple weeks ago. Wow. If we could really honor Easter, I think the best way would be to say, Lord, I, I believe and I accept your story for my life today. Friend, Jesus loved you this morning. He wants to be a part of your life. And and, and it is that simple. It really is. To accept and to believe, confess that that Jesus Christ is your Savior. In fact, we're going to pray together and I want to invite you to listen and then pray along with me when I ask you to invite Jesus to become a part of your life if you're listening. Let's pray together. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for, Lord, the message that you've given us to remind us, Lord, that there is darkness without you. To remind us, Lord, that there is much that we can anticipate and expect as we we begin relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would just move that heart today, that one right now that is just, Lord, thinking on, uh, Lord, their spiritual life, their eternal destiny as they think about the relationship with you that you would just hear their prayer in fact pray along with me to invite jesus to become a part of your life say dear heavenly father i love you so much thank you for becoming flesh thank you for sending your son to die in my stead jesus forgive me of my sin jesus come into my heart Become a part of my life. Help me follow you every day and learn how to do that. And so, Jesus, I choose you this morning. I want to walk with you forever. 
Thank you for this promise, this expected promise of everlasting life. We ask this in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen. And congratulations if you prayed that prayer. God loves you this morning. He wants to be a part of your life. And remember, the gospel is the revelation of Christ for you. God bless you. Have a good afternoon.